if you don't talk about it, if you don't express it, if you don't advocate for yourself, then there are so many other women and some men as well that have had the same experience and they don't have a voice. They end up in a really bad place. I always say this. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. It'll never be out, but I've been able to have a decent life despite of it. It wasn't easy. I grew up in uh, Hawaii. When I finished high school, my mom insisted that I go to college. And I was just kind of an unfocused kid. Initially, I wanted to actually be a police officer, and she was not supportive of that. So I went to college in Arizona, and I lasted two semesters. And during spring break, I said, Mom, let me come home. And uh, she said, come for your spring break. And as soon as I hit the ground, I said, you can't make me go back. So my mom, who was really kind of a mellow, little short little lady, really quiet, said to me, get a job, go to school, or get out, to my shock. I decided to get a job. That job was a Krispy Kreme donut shop. The Krispy Kreme happened to be near Pearl Harbor. You had a lot of Navy in particular would come into the donut shop. There was this one female sailor that would come in and I talked to the woman and I said, do you like being in the Navy? And she said, yeah. And I said, do you feel like as a woman you are limited? And she said, no. She said, I love being in the Navy. And I thought, Okay. Well, my mom was in the Navy, so that should be okay. So I go home and I say, you know, mom, I'm, I'm you know, four months into donut shop. I know better. I said, I'm going to join the Navy. And she got extremely angry. And I said, I don't understand. You were in the Navy. I don't understand. And she said, I had to do that so that I could have a career. I had to do that to have more than where I'm from. She's from a literally small town, very limited. She said, you don't have to do that. I'm a teacher. You can go to college. And so I looked at her and I said, well, if you're not going to support that, then you can tell everybody your daughter is a Marine. And she said, the Navy's fine. The Navy is just fine. So I went from Hawaii to Florida and was really excited. And the one good thing about having a mom in the military, you know, father, anything, is I was told what to expect when I go to boot camp. They're going to yell at you. They're going to scream at you. They're not going to hit you. They're going to make you do silly stuff. Just do it and you'll be fine. And I'm really glad I got that feedback because I just sort of expected the worst. And it wasn't that bad, actually. I did very well in boot camp and I got promoted from boot camp to an E2. My training was in engineering. So I was still at the, the naval base. And that is uh, where the the... The first thing happened. I was naive. I'm from a really small town. So I was very trusting. And I'm really close to my brother. I played sports. So I was around guys all the time. Nobody did anything funky or anything. So some of the guys in my training, we were all friends and buddies and all of that. We were able to go out and get into a bar and, and drink and stuff. And so we were off the base. I was with five guys. And so we decided because we were underage, we weren't going to go back to the base. 
And so we rented a hotel room and everything was fine. I'm glad it was only one of them. I was sexually assaulted. So I was asleep. It woke me up. And I I was scared because then I realized there were four other guys in there. And so I got up and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't really know how to get back to the base. So I went into the bathroom and locked myself in there. It was then that I realized I was bleeding. So I just stayed locked in there until one of the guys knocked on the door. He wanted to go to the bathroom. And, you know, they were like, why did you sleep in here? I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. I remember not saying anything and being in the elevator with the guy that actually assaulted me. He wouldn't look at me. And I just didn't know what to say. What was I to say? I was just scared. Another female had actually gang raped. She actually complained. They told her it was her fault because she shouldn't have been out partying with them. What was I going to say? Are they going to say that to me? I was asleep. I was asleep. So I kind of just choked it down. I didn't know what to do. So I just choked it down. So I got stationed on a ship in Alameda. So the base is, is closed now. The USS Salmon Gompers, it was a crew of 1,100 and 400 were women. And at that time, that was a lot. I report to Alameda in December of 87 and my ship wasn't there. It was out to sea. So, you know, I stayed in the barracks. And what I'm going to describe now, it's only because I had EMDR that I even remember it. I didn't remember it really until that and how horrible it was. EMDR starts you off at the last traumatic thing that happened. And what it does, it's like an onion. And the, the next thing comes out, the next thing comes out. The combination of my therapist who was a veteran herself. And she was a licensed marriage and family therapist. Made therapy so much easier. Is I didn't have to explain to her what happened in the service. When we started to talk about what happened, the assault in the hotel room. And she had her little wand and she would go back and forth. And I, you know, had to basically relive it in a controlled environment. But you're reliving this this thing I'm waiting for my ship to come back and I went to this LGBT bar with this guy and he left me there just left me there so I'm in the middle of Oakland California I have never been there had no clue and I remember ordering a drink and after that drink, I felt funny. I just remember feeling funny. And 
I walked out of the bar trying to figure out how to get back to the base. You know, everything is just kind of spinning. I just stumbled on a bus stop. I remember getting on the bus and saying something like, I need to go to the Naval Station. The bus driver, he was nice. He was okay. And then there was another guy on the bus. And he said something. I don't know what he said, but he took me to the base. And he was being overly affectionate. And my head was just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And the next thing that I remember is being assaulted in the Marine Corps barracks in the shower. And I was throwing up. The next thing that I can remember Now, and like I said, it's only because of EMDR that I even was able to remember this incident. The last thing after that I remember is entering the ship. Don't know who took me. Don't have, don't have any idea. The officer, I remember him saying something like, why is she like that? How is she like that? And then the next thing I remember is waking up and having no clue. I had no clue. I just figured I got out, I got drunk, and that was it. I had no memory of it, none. This happened in like a three-month period. These two incidents happened in a three-month period. I'm lucky that at that point I didn't remember the second one. I think if I did, I probably would have been God knows what. So my ship came in and contrary to my belief, because the recruiter told me women don't get stationed on ships. And then I remember him saying, but even if they do, the ship only goes out for two weeks. And the next thing you know, they tell us that we're going out to the Persian Gulf. I initially got stationed in engineering and there was a guy who was really sexist. Here's how you do things. And at the end of the day, here's a broom. Clean up. One of my friends from boot camp, she was stationed where the boilers were. She would come into birthing and she would say, they're showing me how to do this. They're showing me how to do that. And I was like, so I got to take a broom in the engine room and you get to learn stuff. Okay. So I went to the officer and I said, I'd like to switch to the boiler room. There were 30 of us, I think. And only 10 of us were women. We got a lot of crap and really scrutinized for everything that we did. Because I played sports in school and because I was really close to my brother, I just would joke and play. I was on watch. You can't get up. You're watching everything. And one of the guys in my unit came up to me and grabbed my breast. And I couldn't move. I couldn't get up. I was on duty. I was on watch. So this happens. And I sat there and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? What the hell am I going to do? 
And first thing came in my mind was to be quiet. And then I thought to myself, if I do that, then it'll probably be bad. And then I thought if I told the chief that now I'm a woman and I'm complaining. So my final thought was once I was done on my watch that I was just going to go up to him and just say, please don't do that again. And he had his buddies next to him. And there was another guy, third one that was kind of standing off to the side. And I remember going up and I just say, you know, I'm just going to tell you, please don't do it. I walked up to the guy and I looked at him and I said, you know, I joke with you and I play with you, but I do not grab your ball. And I grabbed the guy who was standing next to me and I squeezed him. I just squeezed. I never looked at him. I looked at the guy that did it to me. And I said, so don't do it to me. I let him go. I actually apologized to him and I just walked away. And that was probably the best thing I did because after that, never had any trouble. Never had any trouble. So all of this stuff is happening. And the one place that I actually felt safe was where I reported the duty. Out of all the stuff that was going on, I worked in an oil lab. I'm testing boiler water and feed water. And I worked with only one female, one petty officer with me. So I felt safe. So we come back to San Francisco and the ship was going to go into dry dock to be repaired. As that was happening, I fell down three stairs and couldn't get up and walk. And I ended up going to the Oak Knoll Naval Hospital. I was given a brace and they told me they would schedule my surgery. And I was taken off my ship. And I was really upset. Treasure Island was still a Navy base. So I got stationed at Treasure Island. I was given limited duty. I would go to PT and all of that. And it was like two weeks, three weeks. There were male Marines and sailors that were coming in. And within two to three days, they would have surgery and go. And in the meantime, because I hadn't gotten any major treatment, I actually wore another one. So my mom, being a veteran, called the chaplain of the Navy base. She asked them if I wasn't getting surgery because I was a woman. And within like a day, the chaplain, who was captain, came up to me and said, this is the date of your surgery, and you need to call your mom and let her know the date. I was a lost kid, just lost. And I didn't know what to do. You know, when you're out to sea, you learn how to drink and the drinking age overseas is 18. So I've been doing that. And I'm really freaked out about the knee surgery. And I ended up having to have another one because I didn't do it properly the first time. So I started to go out a lot and would drink a lot. And it's also the time where I decided that I was also gay. So I had all of these things kind of go on in my head and uh, had some friends who used to do drugs, particularly used to snort cocaine. I didn't even drink growing up. And so I go from all the stuff that's happened within the first six months of being in the service to being injured and feeling really lost 
and being freaked out because particularly at that time, being part of the LGBT community, you couldn't do that. They were going to get you. So I had all of that in my head and started hanging out with the wrong people and started to use. I got into this really funky relationship with this sailor. And I didn't realize at the time that she was married. She was bi. We went to her apartment with her husband and did drugs. In the next day or two, we got called to do a urine test. I came out positive. So I went to Captain's Mass. When that happened, I had met a sailor, same as John. He's a wonderful guy, and we're still in touch. He made me feel like he was my brother. He was a gay man himself, closeted as well. And as we got closer, I just started to tell him what happened. And he just provided so much support. He was always behind me and always encouraging me. And I felt safe with him. And I didn't feel safe with a lot of people. And I felt safe with him. I remember when I finally had to go to Captain's Mast. I had been going to treatment. I was doing well. I had started to go to 12-step meetings. The master chief of the base, he would take me to the mirror and he would say, look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. And that was hard. I go to Captain's Mast and the outpatient drug counselors came to Captain's Mast. The master chief of the base came and they all spoke up for me. They didn't want me to get kicked out. But I remember the captain said, I just want her out of my Navy. I just want her out of my Navy. And the thing that was really upsetting, there was a second-class officer who was positive for marijuana. And we were both in treatment, and he went to the same captain's mast. And he was allowed to stay in the Navy. I didn't understand why when I had the master chief of the base speak up for me. And this guy got to stay and I had to go. Because I was quote unquote a homosexual and because I was a drug addict and I didn't deserve to be in the Navy. Period. Didn't matter. And I strongly believe I had shared all being sexually assaulted and harassed that they wouldn't have believed it anyway. I actually asked for an administrative hearing to try and request to stay in because I really wanted to stay in. And because I was positive and because I was part of the LGBT community, it was just As time went on, I just start to feel more confident in myself. Despite that, there were certain things that I still did at home to feel safe. Even now, I have to put something in front of all the doors. I don't like hotel rooms. 
And I will block the door completely, even though I know it makes no sense. If I had been medically discharged for my knee, if I had actually been medically discharged, I would be a disabled veteran and get compensation. I would have been able to have benefits that I didn't have because of the OTH. I would not talk about being in the military. When people say, oh, you got discharged, da, 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 da. so what happened? And A, I got this funky story. And B, my mom is a veteran as well. And she was extremely disappointed. She was supportive of the things that had happened. I didn't tell her about the MST for a really, 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 really long time. But because I had also a physical injury, that was easier to talk about. You know, it's almost like if the knee injury hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be where I am today because MST is so away, put in the dark, underneath the bed. Whereas I have a service-connected physical injury, the way I started to talk about it was talking about that. As time went on in my career and I got more confidence in myself, I read an article about somebody getting an OT and they were fighting. At that point, I'm very fortunate. I started to go to junior college and then no VA loan. I had to take uh, federal loans. Went to San Francisco State and got my bachelor's degree. And just continue to just try and be better and try and be better and try and be better. So when I first tried was 2009 and it was rejected because quote unquote homosexuality was still not allowed. So they rejected it, even though I had done all the things that I did and for lack of a better word, got my life together. When I saw that they changed the rules. They changed the regulations in the military to allow LGBT to be in the service. I tried again. I went to the San Francisco Veterans Office. And the gentleman there, his name is John too, John Gallagher, wonderful guy, wonderful guy. He listened to me, my story. What I've learned is that, that they were trained to start asking those questions and he recommended a therapist that specialized in MST. Initially I didn't care about benefits even. I wanted the discharge upgrade. That was the thing that I wanted the most because I loved being in the service and I didn't think that what I did deserved as bad as it did. I barely would talk about what happened to me in the service, not even to my spouse. And so when I finally decided and agreed to go see the therapist, I did everything I could to talk myself out of it. When I finally went, I got there and I sat there and she asked me my name And I just threw up in the office. I just threw up. I threw up all over her office. 
because I'd never talked about it and I was scared to talk about it. In the process of getting better with John Gallagher, decision to help me apply for the upgrade. And what that meant was going to a therapist, a different therapist, and they do an evaluation. I was evaluated and it was confirmed that I was an MST survivor. Between John, my therapist, and the VA evaluator, they then applied for VA benefits and it was approved. My discharge wasn't upgraded. The way the wording is, it's honorable for veteran services. John and my therapist said, if you want to try and get the upgrade, go to Swords to Plowshares. Because ultimately, I couldn't apply myself. I couldn't hire an attorney. There was nothing I can do. Having a job or not, there was no way I could do that. Nothing. And so I'm very grateful, extremely so. They upgraded it to general. That just happened last year. And part of the reason why I think I've been fortunate at least the partial upgrade is because John and my therapist helped me and I was able to show that I had changed my life for lack of a better word. It's never going to go completely away, but it's like my therapist said, it sort of goes in another place. Ultimately I was using and drinking because I didn't know how to deal with all that shit. And on top of that, I'm having to deal with this injury and I've had to have surgery and I've had to have physical therapy. It was just kablam, everything. It's so hard to work through that kind of stuff. Before I would just kind of, I, you know, I could completely just fall apart just even trying to talk about it. Now I'm uncomfortable but it's also important because of what happened to one of the girls that I trained with and knowing what happened to her. You know, at some point, somebody has to say something. Somebody has to do something. If anybody is lucky enough to have access to someone that can help them, support them, then try really hard. If I didn't have the sport that I had when I got out, I would not be the person I am today. I just would not. Other people who have MST need to be able to feel like they can talk about it, to get it out, to get help, because I'm a better person now. I'm less, not perfect. But I'm less scared. You know, I still have some little things that I need to do to feel protected, but nothing like before. And I want for other survivors to really feel able to say something, to talk about it, whether it's happened yesterday or it happened 30 years ago. I had never been in trouble before. Up until that captain's mast, I had never been in trouble before. I'd never been written up for anything. 
I got promoted out of boot camp, which is not something that happens. You know, there's always a part of you that sort of, if I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't done that, then this wouldn't have happened. And a lot of it was that I blame myself. If I hadn't gone out with the guys and hang out, then that would have happened. If I hadn't gone to the bar, then that wouldn't have happened. But now after having therapy and finally came to the realization that I could be wherever I want to be and I don't deserve that kind of treatment, I just felt I was wrong. And that's why I persisted and persisted and persisted. 